You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BNH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan White. Greetings and welcome to the BNH Photography Podcast. Why is it that every time I'm finally satisfied with the contents of my camera bag, Photokina comes along and pops my bubble with one announcement after another about new cameras and lenses that I know I won't be able to live without? Today, John Harris and I, along with our favorite go-to guy, Levy Tenenbaum, and Andrea Ortado, who is a chat, email, social media, ask B&H all-around go-to person here, too, uh, will be joining us. And we're going to be talking about uh, some of the new lenses, cameras, and toys that uh, were re- announced and released recently at Photokino. Greetings. Welcome, everybody. Hey. Yo. Everybody, you're all return people here. This is very, very good. Back from the dead. <laughs> Never make that sound again. <laughs> just leave. For, for those of you who didn't see, Dre's face just went white. <laughs> anyway, uh, let, let's start talking about lenses. That seems to be like a lot of the new stuff uh, had to do with uh, optics and glass. Let's actually start with the cameras. Let's actually start with the cameras. <laughs> So that we could lead into the glass. <laughs> yeah. Let's start off with cameras. So we'll be talking about lenses today. Yeah, we're going to talk about a little bit of everything here. Uh, uh, there were cameras, there were lenses. And I, I think it'd be kind of crazy if we didn't start off by talking about the uh, Fujifilm GFX Woo! 50S. <laughs> okay, which one of you guys want to fight it out to tell us about this wonderful camera? Uh, she's pointing at me. Yeah. I just think this is so exciting that Fuji, like, did this. They skipped full frame and they went right over. Brilliant move because full frame is kind of taken. Yeah. And and they have a really deep history and tradition in medium format. So great idea. I'm a little bummed that they kind of went XT1 style or XT2 style, like in that kind of like the SLR straight body build. Kind of wanted them to do like this like rangefinder medium format X Pro one, which I thought would have been super cool. But I mean it looks really interesting. Some fascinating things about it. The removable viewfinder mm-hmm. with like in a viewfinder accessory, which you could do a, um, I guess, angled viewfinder. Right. Um, right. Which is interesting. The most interesting thing which I've seen about it is that the body looks thicker than the X1D. And it's kind of, That's I don't know if it's look. exactly the same sensor, but it seems to be very similar in sensor size, but if you look at the... Fuji is w- saying it's a different sensor than the one in the Hasselblad. Right, which, which, which okay. is fine, which yeah, is yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. I, that part doesn't bother me. What What's interesting is, though, if you see it from the left side, it looks like Fuji has just a whole bunch of extra body space there, and I'm trying to figure out what, why. Yeah. And we're going to spend the next 45 minutes talking about that. Okay, perfect. Um, what, what are the, uh, <laughs> the sensor specs? What's the... 51.3 megapixels? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I remember yeah. correctly. Um, they have a whole bunch of lenses. I mean, we're going to talk about yeah. that in a minute. By they, the way, it is 60% larger than a full-frame 35 millimeter. It's, it's, that's something we should talk about. You know, we use the word medium format. That is a real skitty little word. It's real loosey-goosey because there it used to be medium format meant 6x6 or 6x7. or six. Now we're, again, it's becoming like point-and-shoot cameras where every little point-and-shoot has its own size sensor. And the medium format is the same thing where, yes, it's a lot bigger than a full-frame 35, but it's not a 645, it's not a two and a quarter square, 
or anything of that sort. It is smaller. So is this bigger sensor than the Hasselblad or the 645Z, the Pentax that came out? Um, I don't remember what the diagonal is. Okay. Um, I want to say it's in the same range. That's okay. my, that's what I, th I think that's the same thing. It's, it's, it's almost identical to the Hasselblad. And now, and now that I'm saying it, I think the Hasselblad is the same as the 645Z, so it, I, it might be a drop bigger. Okay. We'd have to see what the diagonals are. When we come back next week, we'll have all well, the answers. You know, this is the one time I didn't bring my phone. I can't even check it on my app. <laughs> uh, we will check that right now. And they also came uh, out with a, a whole series of lenses to go along with this uh, uh, new cam, which is pretty exciting. I, I think it's good because it's bringing medium format pricing down to uh, the high end of full frame 35. So now if you have yourself, you know, say seven to $10,000, you're going for a system, which is not unusual these days. You can now look at 35 and you can now look at medium format, depending on what your needs are, what your work is, what, what, you, what kind of files you need. This is a nice option. It makes it pretty exciting, I think. Yeah, we did, we did a show on this, what, like a month ago on, on medium format? And yeah. I, think, I think what's really happening now, I mean, I don't think you see it, is that medium format is becoming more price accessible. And just that alone is going to enable people who want to differentiate themselves from the other shooters. Okay, I can get a 1DX Mark II or, or Nikon D5, but how do I make myself look different, not just by getting, let's say I can get a 50 megapixel 5DSR, I can get a 36 megapixel D810, 42 megapixel A7R2, but how do I, A, justify charging people more money? I'm going to bring a whole different camera, mm -hmm. which no one's ever seen before, and I'm going to get a completely different look, which no one's seeing constantly. And it's only eleven grand to get in instead of thirty. Yeah, but if you think about the cost of a full, uh, a serious thirty-five millimeter format system from one of the top flagship cameras from Sony, Nikon, can whatever, and the better lenses, you're talking this money anyway. Right, but you get a full system it, over here. Yeah. Over here, you're not getting a full system. Correct. Correct. Um, okay. You know that's. So what about the Leica? The, the instant, so, instant the so film. What, what's it called? Instant film. So dining. fort. So fort. I think this thing is awesome. Why does right. it exist? Because, <laughs> Thank you. Because Why? it's a really fun <laughs> camera. Are you serious? Okay, listen. I, Why would Leica go to this? Why? Know, into this business? Yeah. I think that this is a really fun camera. This is trying to target that Fuji Instax market. It's trying to get into. The, we we know that pretty much mm -hmm. the most popular camera that we sell is the Fuji Instax. Mm -hmm. It's a dollar a shot. People buy it. People love it. And I think the design on this is really fun. And it's enough Leica edge, meaning it's cost 300 bucks instead of 150, that the people paying up for it are going to feel different than the Fuji tax person. Andrea? I don't think it's going to look any different. <laughs> it doesn't need to. It's the same film. You can't convince me that that lens on that sofa camera. It's a Leica, a sofa, it's a Leica lens. Yeah, it's sofa. a Leica lens. Yeah, but you're still putting it on a tiny little Fuji film. <laughs> so it is the same film, the Fuji. Yeah. It's the same film. film. Yeah. No, no, no. The film was actually handmade in Germany. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> how, how did they hire you for this? <laughs> yes, yes. I'm writing all their PR stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to convince them to do this. Um, so um, I, I, I personally I think I feel it's kind of, I think I think it's going to sell because again, it's got Leica on it. Okay? Yep. It's going to yeah. sell. It's a beautiful design. It's yep. fun. I think there's a novelty aspect to it for sure, all right? Um, and it's probably more honest than I think the Hasselblad Sony collaborations we've had the past few years with the Solar and Lunar and all ooh, of those things, ooh. okay? I think this is a little bit less pretentious than <laughs> For those of you Why not seeing, Drea just here? fell off of her chair now. <laughs> 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 she 
She has her head in the paper bag. I'm just gonna find it. a hunk of wood and just glue it right onto my A6000. <laughs> <laughs> Please give me several thousand more dollars. No, but you need to shellac it first. Well, yeah, obviously. Oh, okay, good. First, let's make it clear. We love Sony. We love Hasselblad. Each of these companies put out amazing products. Did you see? Did you see that DJI and Hasselblad paired up to make a Digiblad? Yes. <laughs> yes. Did you see um, that? And you could all and you could also get a uh, uh, okay. Well, we can go it's a, it's a quadcopter with a Hasselblad camera on it. Does it have wood like, handles? It's, it's more everywhere. It's more, like a, it's more, it's more <laughs> like a sextacopter or whatever. Like I mean, it's a big copter, but it's made in conjunction with Hasselblad, so you get medium format drone photography. And it's six times the price of the DJI. How version. many wooden handles does it have on it? <laughs> <laughs> How much shellac uh, do you have? Guys, just, <laughs> just to uh, jump in here real quick, uh, the sensors are all the same size, basically. You have 43.8 by 32.9 for both the Hasselblad and the Fuji, and the the Pentax is just a bit smaller at 43.8 by 32.8. Yeah, but I think yeah. they said it was low humidity that day, and that's why it showed <laughs> up a little bit. <laughs> it just, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. In the summer, it is it is the same size. Uh, the Canon M5 is an interesting camera. To me, it's like they took the how the the, the reflex. Uh, housing out of an, a Rebel, and they came up with a new mirrorless camera. But I think the Canon finally got a nice M camera going there. It looks—I have not handled it. Uh, I've just seen pictures and I read it, but it looks—it looks like a nice machine that I think should be a good seller for them, especially if they market it right. I mean, it definitely is a significant improvement over the first couple attempts. Oh yeah, yeah, and the from the videos of the test testing that we did with it. Um, Color looks pretty good. I don't know. I'd have to test it against the Fuji because obviously my f heart forever and always Fuji. But um, <laughs> the touchscreen seems responsive. The whole thing seems pretty quick. I don't know. It's just it's. And it's they're amazing. making lenses for it. Yeah, I that mean, was my next question. I was looking yeah. at the I was looking at the lenses. I mean, a lot of the zooms still aren't particularly fast. And in, I mean, I know you have the adapter, so you can put your regular EF mount lenses on there. Sony A ninety nine two. That's another camera that people have been wondering: Is it ever going to exist? And it does. Uh, that's their SLT uh, series camera. Now 42 megapixel, 12 frames per second, uh, 4K, and four and a half stops of image stabilization. So they're still pumping money into that. And I think there's a couple of new lenses that they're coming out with. I might be wrong about that. But does anybody care about the Amont anymore? I know I'll get fired for saying that, but... Yeah, no, I... Um, traded, I mean, heard between the only thing it's really offering is just speed over the regular A-series cameras or the E-mount A-series cameras. I couldn't see... I, I, I don't know why I would... What would make me buy that over one of the A7-series cameras. Um, I size. Size, I think, would be size and usability. So, like, speed-wise, I mean, super competitive, even, like, you know, shooting 12 frames per second. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a fast camera. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Autofocus, I think, is going to be better than you're going to find, like, an A7R2. It's 79-point uh, autofocus. To me, it seemed like this can the, the original A-series was like a, a bridge to the A7, the mirrorless system. It, it was They came out of like four or five models very quickly, and then all of a sudden the mirrorless came out and just stole the thunder. Exactly. It's funny It's funny that they're going this direction, I think, because number one, you know, they're still using those, yeah. the, the FM, whatever, 50 batteries, those, the ones that use in all the A7s. Um, there's electronic viewfinder, which is really nice. I mean, this is all stuff like Alan was saying that was a bridge. There were some users. I remember that particularly there was this one famous, I think, wedding photographer out of like um, Utah, Nevada, who was like a big A99 proponent. Um, but I, I can't, in my experience, there weren't there weren't a ton of big like I Sony handling them. Alpha I loved, I loved them. users when I handle them at you know at trade shows and, and demonstrations. They're great, but uh, 
you know. They have really nice A mount lenses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so. And that great flash, I remember that too. But the fact is, E mount, you can put anything you want on it with certain limitations. So there's a lot more options if you're into having options. And what know? about the, the adapter between A mount and E mount? Is that top of the line? Is that the best out there in order to kind of make happy both camps? Yeah, that, that it's a really good adapter. The mm -hmm. LAEA4. Yeah, because it comes it comes with the built-in autofocus, so mm -hmm. it's nice. Um, mm -hmm. But like, I don't know that there's enough in the other camp to mm -hmm. want to bring them over. I mean, I guess you have people with the older A-mount stuff, but I don't know, never. I guess it's a good problem to have for Sony, right? They have competing with themselves and one of the most popular cameras of the past couple of years, right? Well, they have their feet in both camps, and they'll see which one wins out and phase one out over the other. My guess is this might be the last A-series we're going to see, unless, who knows? Unless they bring, like, an A-mount actual mirrorless camera to market. Yeah, I can't see them at least making another A-mount APS-C-sized body again. Yeah. Okay. Micro Four Thirds, Olympus and Panasonic. Olympus has the OMDEM one Mark II. Uh, try saying that five times real fast. They had that under glass, I believe, uh, or they showed it at Photokina. It's going to be out in November, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, a lot of big improvements on that. 121 focusing points. From I spoke to somebody who handled it and said the, the autofocus was ridiculously fast on it and a nice. Uh, handling um, the image process is a TruePic 8, which is, uh, I think, 50% faster. Uh, notably, I'm not going to, maybe not 50, it's notably faster than the previous generation. Uh, and 60 frames per second full res. Hmm. That's pretty mean. That's pretty mean stuff. Yeah. Um, a, very well received. Yes. They, like, knock it out of the park every time they release one of these. Mm -hmm. They just do a really good job, I think. Um, the bodies are nice. The Focusing is super fast. Yes. Yeah, I just I think it's just still impressive that they have the 15 frames per second with autofocus yeah. with the mechanical shutter. I mean, yeah. it's 19 with the electronic one, but even just 15 frames with autofocus, it's still impressive. And then you you also have the option if you're shooting anything static and you want real high resolution, you could put it onto the multi-shot mode. Uh, what do they call it? I forget what they the, they call it. I think it's called. Um, High res shot. High res shot, yeah, and which works as long as your camera is stable and not moving anywhere. It, I've tried it on the previous model, and it works, and it's very, very impressive. But again, it has to be something static. I'm and sure they're working on that. What's the shockproof body? Does anyone know? I mean, it's that. They've just kind of always had, like, the very robust body where it was, mm -hmm. like, weatherproof, mm -hmm. dust sealed. I, I don't know if shockproof is actually... They actually they do that use that word now. now. Yeah, they're including yeah. that, yeah. They, they make really good tough cameras, mm -hmm. so maybe they're yes. incorporating some of that. Yeah. What's interesting is I saw noted over here is this new isolated shutter or floating shutter mechanism, mm -hmm. which I haven't read a ton about, but that seems really, that, that seems a little new. Yeah. It's not attached to the camera or the frame, so again, it sort of floats there like yeah. that. Um, 4K video. 4K video. By the way, just, this has nothing to do with the camera, but when we're reading about the, the uh, isolated floating type uh, shutter, um, a million years ago, I got a tour of the New York Times in, when they were over on 43rd Street, and the printing presses were in the basement. Nice. And to keep, and those, those were monstrous presses, okay? And what they did was rather than put it into the foundation of the building, they mounted all of the presses into the bedrock. 
<laughs> so it was wow. actually isolated from the building. And as we're talking about this, I realized, yeah, those printing presses were the same way. And that's the way you do it. Also, uh, uh, the studio where they record Saturday Night Live is also isolated from the rest of the building because it was originally used for broadcasting um, um, symphony orchestras. Oh, wow. And they didn't want any of the subway vibrations coming up. So that whole studio that they filmed Saturday Night Live is actually an isolated floating studio. That is pretty cool. Which is where Olympus got the idea from. Uh, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody was on a studio trying to go, ah, good note. Okay, let's move right along here. Um, Can I just say the one thing I wish Olympus and Panasonic by that extension would come out with is like a really good flash system? Um, right now, they do have like wireless sort of. There's not. There's not Olympus really a lot going on Olympus just is, is coming out with a real a, a flash system that puts out a lot of light and can be used for video. Uh, I did see it, and it is a real speed light that's going to do real things. And even they, they, they as soon as he shows, he says, "Here's what everyone's been waiting for." So uh, I happen to see that flash. It is existing and it will be out um, sometime in November. Cool. All right. So, so I look forward to seeing it. it when it when it happens. And, yeah, that's been a hole for them as well. Um, Olympus also has um, the uh, Pen EPL8 coming out, which is a a whole new genera, another iteration of... uh, That's the word I've been looking for. Thank you, John. (laughs) (laughs) The smaller mirrorless. Yes. But the Panasonic is still, I mean, they're still interested in their uh, high-end point-and-shoot cameras. Clearly, right? I mean, another one is the FZ2500. Is that supposed to be anything of note? or We have a 24 to 40 equivalent zoom. you got a 1-inch 20 megapixel sensor. Um, it's a Leica L- lens, built-in ND filters. Varial Elmerit lens. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure, it's a good camera. By Leica. <laughs> By Leica. <laughs> <laughs> but the GH5 is the big deal, right, from Pan- from Panasonic, right? Yeah, the GH5 is really, this This looks like they're just taking it to a whole new level. Really? A lot of, lot of. Um, so, I'm going to go out on a limb over here and say the GH5 is not a stills camera; it's a camcorder that just happens to look like a stills camera. And what they're able to do with the fact that they've gone micro four thirds is they're able to pump a lot of information out of those smaller sensors because they don't have to worry as much about heat. So they're doing full internal 4K, I think, up to 60P. They're doing full internal 422 color space, mm. so that means a much more color instead of throwing out half the color. A full output of 422 4K. Um, it, it's a camcorder. It, 422. That's the that's 422 the is 10 bit colors. Okay. So a lot more color. So we've seen in the past a lot of people with their GH2s and then GH3s hacked and then GH4s were actually in like indie level putting out some pretty decent you know short films and stuff of that nature. But a lot of times they would output to something in order to get full quality color from it. Um, now they're allowing you to do full color internally so you don't have to have an external recorder, which is it's a pretty, big step. It's a huge step. Gotcha. Nikon, key mission 360, 170, and 80. So Nikon, Nikon, I think is really interesting with the key mission. So firstly, this stuff got announced last year at Photo East, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We haven't seen it at all. Now they're finally coming out. Really interesting. So I'm going to start backwards. The 80, firstly, love the naming convention that it is 80 is 80 degrees, 170 is 170 degrees, 360 is 360, makes it super simple. I actually think that the 80 is an interesting camera and that's kind of like looks like one of those like um, like vlogger type cameras or audio blogger. Yeah, type yeah, like yeah. Things where you can just pick it up, do your quick recording. I don't know, like 
I don't know how it's going to interact. They're with branding the app. it as a life, uh, a life Lifestyle. logging camera. Yeah. That's really what they're talking about. Yeah. So I think that's cool. The one seventy, it's going to be Nikon optics. It's going to be very cool. That's um, also the, the waterproof camera as well. The, uh, every, they're they're every, all okay, but the three sixty is where it gets interesting because yeah. no one has a three sixty Yakin camera. And they do look interesting as far as designs. They, they it is it is a visual break from all the other tough cameras out there. I mean, as soon as you see them, they you stand out. Almost have a military look about them. Yeah, uh, the the eighty and the three sixty, sure. Which is nice because a, a lot of cameras they all look like bars of soap in different colors. These days. <laughs> and speaking of GoPro, they have two. Well, they have the Hero Five, the Hero Five Black and Hero Five Session. Yes, Karma and the Karma. The karma. What the heck is that? I want the Karma. A I'm small say that foldable now. drone that I fits inside an included backpack. It has three-axis image stabilization, gimbaled grip, can be used handheld with the Karma Grip power controller, similar to a DJI's Osmo, or mounted to almost any GoPro mount. Um, electronic uh, image stabilization placed in the front so that when the camera is recording, it doesn't capture the propellers. They did a lot of careful thing. They learned their lessons with every new generation. They keep building it up and up and up. They definitely did. They definitely learned a lesson from what a lot of the other companies are doing. We see a lot of companies now are coming out with these very compact drones, which kind of like fold up into a very easy fit backpack. You pop it out, open it up, and then you have a full-fledged drone. Mm -hmm. I like this. If anyone from GoPro is listening, please send me one. Um, I think this is awesome because it, they pretty much made a full a full system here. It's a bundle package, everything you need in one exactly, box. Exactly. You have, you have the, the drone. You have the gimbal. You can remove the gimbal very easily from the drone, attach it to a stick. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you know, like a selfie stick, or like where we'd see like the handheld gimbal stabilizer, so I can chase Drea all around and film her without it shaking. Mm-hmm. And do you um, do that? Well, I mean, not now. But if someone sends me, if someone sends me a Karma, <laughs> uh-huh. then I can do this and I can chase Drea. I will all around. knock it out of the sky. The Drea duck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, I will knock it down. Is she real? <laughs> <laughs> Drea literally will. She'll pull out one of her Mets bats and just literally knock it through a window. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a GoPro. I should take it, right? Exactly, and we'll pick it up and keep going. But it's what's really cool. So you can like then then you can like attach it to your like they make it like so it clips to the backpack also. So like the mm-hmm. whole thing is like I think it's really well thought out, and I think it's gonna. It's a lifestyle drone. Yep, exactly. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> a whole new genre. <laughs> <laughs> well, seeing as they made action cameras a market, <laughs> that yeah, uh, now yeah. they can make lifestyle yep. drones a market. Points taken. Uh, uh, Hasselblad also pulled a couple of funny wins. Lady, tell us about the uh, Hasselblad uh, uh, square format camera that we just saw. I think it's beautiful. And that the model V1D. name is? <laughs> the V1D, the Hasselblad V1D 50 megapixel. Have you seen this, Drea? I have not. Oh, my God. It's so nice. So this is like, the, like the different kind of body build. It looks yeah. Like a ring well, they're, what they're going, they're going back yeah. to a square format camera, like mm-hmm. the original Hasselblad series. They're kind of pulling the nostalgia thing. But exactly. And then they got the version. handle on the side. Oh, I, and apparently, I don't want and one by of the these. way, the handle could be put on either side depending on whether you're right or handed. That's left fantastic. It, which is kind of cool. That's very interesting. Are they, they, they going to have the person. little? Are they going to have the little shutter thing, or is it going to be like a clicky on the handle? Uh, let me go run back to my desk and take a look at the. But then, uh, but then what it looks like is I think the screen is actually on the top. I think it's made for yes. viewfinder. Going, like, your waist I mean, level oh viewing. Oh, my goodness. It's like. They're, they're going back to all of the originals, but they're updating it. They're doing well with that sensor, so it's nice. What? Did anyone see the price on this? 
There is no price on it yet. They say they're going to be doing it, but this is all prototype at this point in time. What I do know is that it will be compatible with H lenses. So it's not going to be a whole new lens, unless they, they, they might have it with both, but from my understanding is that it's right now H lens compatible, but not, not V lens. There it is. That's uh-huh. all. There's the catch. There's the catch. No okay. V lenses for you. Mm. <laughs> and the H6D, the 100C, is that an... It, that was announced a while ago. Right. And then the earthquake. Yeah, everything everything went. Yeah, everyone, production went down. Yeah, yeah, everyone pretty much got hammered on that. I think that's why Nikon had a bunch of backups. Sony's had a bunch of backups. Um, is that why the, the DL series and Nikon is still delayed? Yeah, and that is my that. theory. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but apparently everything's still on the ship now. So hopefully that the will DL? be. Not the DL, but a lot of Sony products that were back orders are now back in oh, stock, nice. which means that everything else will be following because Sony's going to obviously. Complete their own cameras before they send sensors off to everybody else. That's my exactly. guess. Before we get to lenses, there's a couple other products that I know you both wanted to mention. Alan, you're talking about a uh, yeah, Sandisk uh, one terabyte SDXC one memory card, uh, which will be able to do 4K at 60 frames per second. It's uh, it's it's meant for <laughs> serious imaging from uh, for large files. Uh, it, it's it's amazing. What gets me is I remember when the first compact flash came out. That was uh, one gig and it costs fourteen hundred dollars. That gets me crazy. The Pro Photos, Levy, you were talking about. Yeah, uh, and then Pro Photo and Bowens both have announced support for Sony TTL, which is kudos. Mm-hmm. I'm clapping because yeah. this means that Sony finally has like real support from real manufacturers to do lighting. So now all those A7R2, A7R, A7S, A7, A7 Mark II owners. <laughs> A6000, A6300 owners. A99 too? A99. Anyone on the Sony multi-interface shoe can actually use flashes that are made for pro use, and thereby I think we're going to see a lot of really good... This is going to bring, I think, a lot more people into the Sony fold. For everyone who didn't convert yet. Commercial shooters, because, again, that has been an issue. It's like I got this terrific, amazing equipment here, but I can't use it to its potential for my needs. Yeah, the, the, the Sony shoes notorious on the phones. I'm sure you get this in chat. We get in the store on phones all the time where people are calling up saying, like, I bought a Pocket Wizard and it's not triggering from my A7. What's going on? And even though the center pin should theoretically trigger from anywhere um, due to the way it's... File it a little. Exactly. Slide right in. Exactly. Which There's... is not the best advice to give people. It's like, hi, you got this thing? Great. Destroy it a little bit, and then it'll work a thousand times better with your camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to avoid the warranty, and everything will be fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no problems. Cut the red wire. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's do it, Alan. Okay, we are going to take a break, and we come back. We're going to talk lenses. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at BH Photo Video, hashtag BH Photo Podcast. We are back. And then we're going to be talking about lenses, new lenses at Photokina. Uh, we started talking about the Fuji GFX, the medium format Fujifilm camera. And they have six lenses to go along with it, which is really kind of neat. They have a 23 F4, 32 to 64, 45, 63, 110, and 120 millimeter lenses. And they're all pretty fast. F4 is the slowest. And, uh, uh, and 110 is an F2. 
uh, and we get some two eights in there. So they're, they're good lenses. The uh, specs seem nice. The range is nice. Just to give you a perspective, the 23 millimeter, which is their widest lens, it's a 23 millimeter f4. That's equivalent in 35 millimeter to an 18 millimeter 3.2. Uh, whereas the 120 f4 lens is the equivalent of a 95 millimeter f3.2 uh, in 35 millimeter full frame. So uh, it, it's a nice range. You have ultra wide to basically a nice portrait lens. And that's not a bad start. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, I mean, that you can pretty much get through anything you, you're looking for with that selection. And, and Fuji and Fujifilm uh, makes terrific lenses. Uh, it's no secret that all of the H series lenses from Hasselblad are designed and manufactured by Fuji. That's their their partner for that whole system. Uh, and I've owned many Fuji lenses over the years. They're wonderful. They're really really good. So it should be a nice match for that camera. Yeah. One really interesting thing over here is that they they took a different approach. Like the X one D from Hasselblad, mm -hmm. they're all leaf shutter. Yeah. And Fuji is not going leaf shutter. They're going doing focal plane. So that is a difference between the two systems. Now, that's pretty major also because if you're a studio photographer and these cameras, part of them are kind of studio shooters, you have much higher sync speeds with leaf shutters as you do with a focal plane. For a studio shooter, especially somebody doing fill flash or working outdoors, especially working outdoors with fill flash, that's major. That That's a deal breaker right there. So mm -hmm. one, the Fuji might be less expensive, but depending on your needs, it might not be the best camera for you. If you are working with studio flash, that may not be the best. Yeah. I feel like the Fuji, though, is going to fall more towards the higher-end street shooting and more handheld work than it would be for studio work anyway. That's my guess, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the... I'd say that's with, pretty Especially true. with this kind of kind of range in lenses, because you, you have your wider angles for more street photography, more landscape stuff. I feel like this is not something that's going to be kind of um, brushed into a studio. Well, right it would be parallel yeah. to what Mamiya was doing. Mm -hmm. Mamiya had the Mamiya 7, which was a large range find. It was like a medium format Leica. Mm -hmm. And then they also had the RZ, or excuse me, the RZ 6.7 and the 6.45, which mm -hmm. were conventional studio cameras. You could use any of them for anything, but some cameras have have definitely have their strengths. Yeah, if you go if you go to Fuji's site for the GFX, they definitely have like studio shooters. Like you have like a car mm -hmm. shooter. You have this uh, gentleman who photographs and like does this like crazy Photoshop work on on fashion models. Um, they have to tie that in if they want. Yeah, to they, yeah. They, absolutely got to do that. Yeah. It may not be the best, but it's absolutely usable. for oh, that. Yeah. no two ways about it. So um, that's cool. Um, anything else in Fuji? This is the biggest so. announcement, though. When it's fair to say, out of Photokina, this is the biggest. Yeah, the news. Yeah, it, yeah. And hugely rumored lenses. for yeah. a long time, uh -huh. and I, I think Alan and Andrea pretty much summed it up. The fact that they're coming out with supportive lenses off the bat to pretty much fill yeah. a majority of shooters' range. They learned from Canon's M series playbook. So. <laughs> They're just catching up now. And, and, and from Sony with the A7s originally, because this is not a camera. I mean, you can't adapt a bunch of lenses to this from medium format lenses, but they learned from Or even from their own Sony. X series, right? Yeah. 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 But it's nice to know there's slow. a dedicated system that's made specifically for that, and you can go outside if you needed to. Exactly. Um, Sigma is pushing hard with these art lenses. They came out with an 8514, a 12 to 24 F4, and a 500 F4. Um, and I, we're starting to hear from other manufacturers too, third-party manufacturers that, like Tokina, for instance, they want to start coming into the prime lenses too, the higher-level, higher-quality lenses, mm -hmm. which I think is terrific, and I think it's good for everybody. 
I yeah. think we all win with that one. Yeah. yeah, no, the Sigma art lenses have been fantastic. I mean, at the 85, everyone's just been sitting down waiting for it to come out. So I mean, mm-hmm. that's just kind of like, oh, good, finally, sort of deal. But like even just switching from the Canon uh, primes to a couple of Sigma primes, it's sharper. You no longer have to apologize for not having the original manufacturer's yeah. name on your lenses. Yeah, not at well, all. Which is interesting. There's always a stigma to that. Um, and we're getting away from all that stuff, which is good, I think. Yeah, what's, what's, what's really cool about this, and I think this follows back into something you were saying much earlier, is at this point, everyone now can make a really sharp, good lens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sigma's making really good, sharp, good lenses, but I don't know how soulful they are. So, like, depending on what you're looking for. Like, if you're looking for sharpness, as Andrea is saying, this is... And, and like $500 cheaper. Yeah. And build nice. quality and things like that mm-hmm. do not do not seem to be an no, issue I've had, here. I've had the Sigma 35 and I've shot a few weddings and events with it. And it holds up to all the knocks and bangs that my other um, so, uh, Canon L series lenses do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've yeah. not seen an issue at all. They're they are rock solid. Um, here's a good little asterisk tip for those of you getting a 5D Mark IV. Turn off your peripheral lens correction if you're going to be using third-party lenses. Otherwise, you're going to see this weird black ring around because yeah, Canon has that. a yeah. lot of mm-hmm. correction built in. So make sure you turn that off. Um, other thing to note, by the by, as you're talking about how these other manufacturers, these third-party manufacturers are coming into prime lenses, a lot of them are doing cinema lenses. A lot of them are rehousing mm-hmm. their lenses, particularly Sigma, um, Tokina, and I believe even Tamron. I don't, I don't remember if I'm correct on that, but they're all doing like cinema lenses now. They're, they're rehousing their glass and saying, hey – it can fit 4K. It's made to resolve really high sensors, so it can do 4K all day. That rhymed. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you practicing that? Uh, uh, Leica is also coming out with a line of cinema lenses. They call them the Leica M 0.8 series cinema lenses, and uh, um, they're all f1.4, 21, 24, 28, and 35 millimeter. So even Leica is getting very serious. And then they this. knock it out with the 50 millimeter. Point nine five. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So just just a note over here. The reason why it's called the point eight is because most film. Um, oh, I'm going to forget the name for it right now. The um, ridges, which you use for like follow focus, yes, is a point eight pitch. Are that okay? So that's why it's called point eight. Ooh, we all learned something here today. There's a reason why we had you come in. We knew <laughs> that you knew something the rest of us did not know. Uh, like <laughs> introduced some still uh, lenses. They have the uh, for the SL uh, specifically a 51.4. Great. They have an uh, an Apo Sumicron SL 75 f2 aspheric, a 90 f2 aspheric, a 35 f2 aspheric, and a Super Vario LMR SL 16 to 35, 35 to 45 aspheric, and that's for the the new SL camera. So they're putting their money into that too and they're building a system for that camera exactly, too, uh, exactly. which is nice I mean this is a camera that uh, a camera manufacturer that you know we, we're selling typewriters a few years ago just from the <laughs> office just to keep the funds going and keep payroll they're, it's nice to see that they are able to continue to produce some really interesting new innovative cameras and joining the 21st century while still keeping <laughs> the traditions going for the old timers. Yeah, that, that sells a very interesting camera. Did we, did we ever talk about that yeah, on, we did. on the podcast? Yeah. We did. It's a very interesting camera. It's good to see that they're finally coming out with lenses that will really flesh out the system. So mm-hmm. if you buy into it at this point now, you have a system to go into. And as you mentioned, there's the 50 point. 0.95 Noctilux, which is like a standard for low-light shooting. Um, Zeiss, 
One lens they came out with, which is I really want to see, is the 85 f2.4 Loxia. Yeah. Which uh, uh, manual focus. It's small. It's only four inches. It has a de-clickable aperture if you want to shoot video. But I happen to like that series of lenses because, A, they're really good, sharp lenses. They're a little bit slower. They're not the high-speed jobs, but they're the kind of lens where you can walk around with a few of them with you all day and not get a backache. And they're, they're just the right size, especially for a Sony-type camera. I, I personally like those. Um, that I am exactly with you on there. And also the fact that they're slower, and this is something I know that John wants to talk a little bit about later on with his like technology, mm-hmm. but you don't need the fastest lenses, especially if you're walking around with an A-series camera. Yeah. You have tremendous high ISO capabilities. So the fact that you actually have a lens that fits the camera, balances well, and is a good lens. Yes, it, it, I mean, that, it, it took totally me a sense. long time to shake it out of my mental process that if the light's low, I don't have to sweat it anymore. I can go out <laughs> with a, a lens that opens up to four or four or five. I just bumped the ISO to what I used to consider ridiculous sensitivities that are now a whole hum. I mean, I'm shooting at night in stadiums and whatnot. I'm usually in the 1600, 2000 range. And that's nothing. It's fine. Like it just And it's beautiful. Touch- yeah. Touch a luminance in the lightroom, good to go. Wow. Yeah, no, it, I find that to be pretty impressive. So it, it, speed is not as big an issue. Um, and if speed is an issue, you can go to the Milvis lenses. And they uh, just introduced the 1528, uh, 1828, and 135 F2. And I must add that uh, last week or a week and a half ago, I had all three lenses uh, with a Canon 5 mark something. Um, they had to hold me back from robbing him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one, oh, I had a 1DX Mark II. Um, and I spent a day shooting a, a, a feature story on it. The lenses are amazing. They are brilliant. The, the, the images have such a snap and sparkle. They're large. They're heavy. They almost feel like medium format lenses. But even wide open, uh, especially the 135 F2, that lens is magic. I was impressed by almost everything that I took with it. Uh, even the lousier pictures, the ones that were just okay pictures, had a quality that was unmistakable. And what's the difference with the Milvis and uh, the Otis series? Are um, they still doing big, Otis? No, no, big difference. Okay. Um, Milvis is kind of replacing what used to be like the, what were they called, the FZ and the ZE mm-hmm. lines? Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what they are. It's the fo- the optical formulas are the same. They redid the they outside, redid the, the casing. So the housing, the housing looks like ridges. mini, yeah. mini Otis. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're really nice. Um, the the one thirty five. So it's interesting you're talking about the one thirty fives. One thirty fives. I think in every lineup from Nikon from Canon have always had this kind of like mystical mythical quality where people were just like, oh the one thirty five. You have to shoot the one thirty five. And they've always been known as some of the sharpest, nicest lenses that yeah. any of the manufacturers have made. Yes, true. Very, very true. And again, when you when you open that up, if you're really into selective focus, wow, it's amazing what happens. And everything that j- that's not in focus just feathers off beautifully. Very, very nice lenses. Um, it's impressive. One more asterisk to point out over here yeah. is Zeiss and the good tradition of everyone else doing rehousings for cinema. Uh, they have their own CP line of of prime lenses for cinema, but what they've done with the Otis and the Milvis is that they've made these Zeiss lens gears, which slip onto them very beautifully so, and now you can lens them also for cinema. That's right. That's right. Good point. So, and, yep. Yep. Um, Sam Yang, they keep doing great stuff. They're doing all kinds of funny things. They have an 85 F1.2, a 14.24, and a 16... 
T2.6 Xene. How do you pronounce it? X-E-E-N. Anybody know how to zine. do that? Is it Xene? Zine. zine? That's Xene lens. Like Xene? I just call it like a Zine. Zine. Yeah. That I'm makes just... sense. Uh, it has a 106.9 degree angle of view, X coatings, D-clicked aperture, and 11 blade iris. So it sounds like a pretty tough little lens. But again, these are lenses that are affordable by the masses, and they're very good. And can we talk about the fact they made an 85mm 1.2, which used to be only Canon's arena? Yes. Yes. True. Trey, would you shoot that? Do you have one to give me to play with? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Earlier we were talking about uh, lenses, uh, the premium lenses from third-party manufacturers and Tokina. I, I think I mentioned earlier, they have their new Firin, F-I-R-I-N, Firin, Firin series lenses, which are also going to be their premium. Uh, they have a 20 millimeter F2, F-E Firin, which is for, uh, it's a manual focus for E-mount, and it's dedicated. Apparently, this system is going to be E-mount only. Now, that's interesting. Now, who else just came out with uh, uh, a lot of other manufacturers that were strictly going to be Nikon Canon. Now it's Nikon Canon, Sony. Exactly. Everybody's starting to recognize Sony E, not Sony A. And Sony E, yes, that's the important designation. So um, Sony keeps pulling them out of lens. And again, this is kind of neat, I think, that third-party manufacturers are starting to dust themselves off and saying we can do just as good as everybody else. Speaking of which, Leoa. Uh, (laughs) 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 And we all know why we're giggling. The the 24 millimeter (laughs) F14 Relay 2X macro lens. It looks like a bug's antenna. I know that. That's the kind of lens (laughs) that if you take that out in the street and try to take a picture of somebody, you're going to get arrested. Um, (laughs) Someone will see something and definitely say something. (laughs) (laughs) Perfectly. Um, For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, imagine putting a... um, um, well, go to Explorer. Go to Explorer. <laughs> I, want, I, I, actually, I actually want to say, imagine a telescoping baton. Exactly. Oh, a that selfie. one. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's, it's about an inch and a half thick and two and a half feet long <laughs> and comes out of your camera. It's Pinocchio's nose. <laughs> it looks like yeah, it's Pinocchio's nose, but it's a macro lens that takes extreme close-ups of things that are, as they say, shy. <laughs> but you will definitely, there's no way you could walk around with this camera around your neck and not get looks. Um, they also make a 7.5 millimeter F2 um, uh, wide angle lens. Uh, this is a, a for uh, a micro, micro four, four thirds, thirds and it's aimed at aerial photography. Uh, it's only uh, a third of a pound and 55 millimeters long. So here's an ultra wide angle fast one that's meant for flying around and taking some pictures. Yeah, Lau, Lau has been putting out some interesting lenses recently. Yeah, the 15 um, millimeter macro and a lot of other odd exactly, lenses. And the again, these are affordable. Macro. Yeah. So you can go out and do some really, really exotic imaging with, with lenses that are not going to kill you. So uh, that, that's a good takeaway. And they have a 15-millimeter F2 FE 0D lens, which is 110-degree angle of view, zero distortion is saying, and a 72-millimeter thread for Sony full-frame mirrorless only. And they also have a 12-millimeter F2.8. Um, that's also 0D. Yes, and again, these are both. These are going to be specifically for Sony full-frame mirrorless cameras, E E mount, um, which again is interesting. Some of these manufacturers are coming out; they're bypassing Nikon and Canon. They're going straight for these, and it's also interesting that ultra wides are becoming very, very big right now and affordable and fast. That was not always the case. Yeah, ultra wides. I mean, I'm curious about ultra wides. I I've always, I mean, as a shooter. 
I've always kind of leaned into the wide angle. I liked to be in the action. Mm-hmm. I liked to photograph. I enjoyed most people hate wide angle distortion. I loved it. I love that it made people look a little silly or hyper you real. Have to, the good, uh, your pictures are good with it. You use it well. Thank you. Um, and so I've always, and like, I like to be in the action. So ultra wide for me was always like somewhere to go. Whereas I, I think you're right is that I think as more and more people are realizing that to get into the action, you don't need 600 millimeter F4 anymore, but like people want to be embedded. They want to be a part of the experience. And we're seeing these wide angle lenses coming out now. Mm-hmm. So, and the improved yep. distortion is just, that's something that would drag me right in. Cause what you're saying, how you like the, the kind of extreme right. angles. I started crying when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, you, know, you bring up an interesting point. Yeah. You can still get that wide angle look, but what's cool about the latest generation ultra wides is that if you set up your camera level, squared off to your subject, perpendicular to everything, parallel lines remain parallel. Yeah. Barrel and pincushion distortion are really pretty much a thing of the past. I find the simplicity of that just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I don't want your crazy nonsense on the corners. Right, so that that I'm with you all on. They, well, you know, you can get if you want, you can still get. You put a, yeah. put one of those lenses in somebody's face; they're looking like bozo. Yep. No yeah, two ways no. about it. But you could also use these. That's one of the things I got from the Milvers with the, mm-hmm. the 15, the 18. I was astonished. I was shooting inside a classic auto museum, and it's wide angle, but it doesn't yell wide angle at you, which yeah. is what I really like. Yeah. Yeah, for landscape shooters, I mean, I'm, I'm talking as far as like event stuff, but for landscape shooters, for people going on these once in a lifetime trips mm-hmm. that they want to take these huge um, scenic photos from, I mean, yeah, your trees are all going to be straight. Yeah. Good stuff. Last company on my list is Olympus. And um, there are three lenses they introduced there's a 25 1.2 Pro, a 30 millimeter 3.5 macro and a 12 to 100 f4 is pro lens i saw all three of those lenses about two hours ago but what really blew me away was the ed 30 millimeter 3.5 macro it's like 2x power it, it goes oh, to wow. I think twice life size nice wow. and it's brilliant i mean it really gets right in and the thing is it's lightweight it's almost, it almost doesn't weigh anything in your hands. It's small, and it's brilliantly sharp. I was astonished how close and crisp that thing was getting. Uh, that's going to be a very, very exciting lens for anybody who's into micro four-thirds who wants to do close-ups. This, and it's like $300. $300 for a really incredible twice-life-size macro. Yeah, Olympus, Olympus does a great job with their lenses. I like the fact that they're opening up their pro line. Yes, um, that's really nice. The 25 is like a 50 millimeter one, two mm-hmm. type, you know, lens. Um, and it's nice, well-balanced. Yeah. The, the 12 to 100 is a 24 to 200. To 200. Yep. I mean, that's a fend. I will take one of those. And it's small. Fits right in the palm. A, a 24 to 200 millimeter yeah. F4. That works. And that isn't, isn't that lens com- in combination with the EM1 Mark II. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's have like six stops or six and a half stops of six and a half which they say is the most you can ever do so that that's the maximum that will be i start something today that earth's rotation interferes past that (laughs) i don't know the details but it's true that's what they're saying they say right now six and and a half stops is the most we can do because the earth has a habit of rotating and it's throwing us off that is i hate when that happens that sounds so good i'm sorry earth you're rotating we can't just stay still for like a second (laughs) i cannot shoot above a 20th of a second you really need to stop So we haven't can, can mentioned. I, let me just 
point one thing out. Um, as far as Olympus's stabilization, they've done such a good job with that that there's a lot of people who have done tests online showing their stabilization versus stabilizers. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about three-axis stabilizers and stuff like that. And the Olympus stuff is really good. It's really good. All right, then. Canon, Nikon, haven't mentioned any of their lenses. Yeah, so what? Can we talk yeah. about those real quick? Let's do it. I, I, know, I know this is not Photokina, but it uh, you know recently released lenses. Right, yeah. so Canon 16-35 to version 3, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Great, great lens compared to the version 2 and the version 1. Okay. Um, my shout-out question to everyone, we did this actually on our Venus rant, is would you get the 16-35 to or the 11-24? to 1635, the 1124 is huge and yeah. heavy. That is not practical for any sort of yeah, shooting when you're not stationary on a tripod. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic lens, but it's the size of my forearm and is... Uh, it's got that giant front element. It's yeah. You're going to break it. You're going to damage it. Oh, yeah, no, it's, I, it's, I, I break everything. I can't, you can't give that to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely a big lens. It's not for everyone. I personally am a huge fan of it because it's like 11 millimeters rectilinear. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. I, I agree with your point that if you're going to be shooting events and running around, it's... That's not the lens for you. Yeah. Architecture, that is the lens for you. Landscape, oh, yeah. that's the lens for you. Oh, yeah. Like, but the twenty four one hundred five they redid. Did you mention 20, that twenty four to one hundred five okay. they redid, which is, which is going to be released yeah. exactly, which is going to be released with the five D Mark IV. Okay. So they've updated it now. I think it has four stops of mm-hmm. in, uh, internal stabilization, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to be a better lens. Like the, the original twenty four to one hundred five wasn't a bad lens, but this I think is dead. Yeah, they as, all kinds of new coatings go. and everything exactly. too. So it's be sharper. And Andrea, what about the the Fuji X series? No, no new lenses or what's coming? Any? I, I look to you because I know you like. Yeah, the Fuji. I mean. I'm just waiting for the XT2 T. to be here. Right. So you don't <laughs> just, have to worry about the lens. I yeah. just want it. Yeah. Why are you looking very upset right now? Like you're ready to cry because it's not here. It's not here. And I'm a little upset about that. <laughs> we, we, we hit on something that's not easy for you. I'm telling. I can see this right now. We, we have to take a short break. I'm sorry. Pardon. <laughs> <laughs> and then Nikon announces a um, D3400. And here's, here's what I don't understand. Dear Nikon. You release a D3400. First, you remove like half the features that are actually useful. And then secondly, you release four new lenses with it, an 18 to 55, and I think it's a 55 to 200 or a 70 to 300, whatever it is. And then you make them in two versions. One is non-VR, one is VR, one is non-VR, one is VR. So you have four of this like same exact, like two, like you doubled up all the same exact lenses, $50 difference to get VR. Why? Why would you even consider making lenses, especially at that level without vibration reduction? Right. So, like, what this goes into, and then John wants to go there, so like, mm-hmm. I'll do your segue for you. Do it. Is where a lens is going, and I don't see anywhere where there are lenses now without VR that are not, like, tiny Luxia, you know, manual focus lenses. Like, I don't, I don't even see why you do that. And for $50 difference, I don't know who that upsells for. Like, everyone should be buying the VR version. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Especially, they're not particularly fast. You need it. There was one more thing I want to mention, yeah. which is Cook and Ingenue are both seem to be making, like, E-mount lenses, which these are high-end mm-hmm. cinema oh, lenses. Oh, yeah. Nice. Right. Which are yeah. going, like, E-mount. Great lenses, yeah, obviously, yeah. cinema lenses. So. Okay. Levy brought up something a little earlier that we talked about even earlier than that, about are we— is this all in the right direction? We've got all these new lenses and we're all juiced up and excited and we got all these terrific selling points and everything else and we all have great reasons why we're going to go buy them. Okay, are we losing anything in the translation here as far as new lenses? Is there something that's going on that you wish was maybe taken into consideration? It's kind of an intent. 
hard question to answer, a little bit of intang- intangibles. Yeah, this is exactly what I kind of wanted to get at a bit further. And, and we all know what cameras are doing and, and what the next step is and what the next step after that will be probably. But with lenses, and, and especially with the fact that with adapters and, and with the mirrorless cameras, you can go back and use a lens from almost any era mm-hmm. and get your specific, get, get what you want out of it, get a specific look. So what is it that lens manufacturers need to be doing going forward to make for better lenses and more interesting lenses? That's my question at hand. I'll be happy to start. Please. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, it's a double-sided sword that we have going on here right now. If you look at all of these lenses, the big thing they're talking about is they're using rarer forms of glass with better coatings, um, and the idea is to get more and more resolving power out of these lenses. And there's a reason for part of that, and part of it has to do with the fact that um, in the days of film, there was X amount of resolving power that was coming out. Now, I remember about 25 years ago, Leica started redesigning all of their long-loved lenses they were redesigning it with a spheric glass. And why they were doing that is not because the old lenses were bad. They were gorgeous. But film technology was getting to a point where the films were becoming sharper than the, the resolving power of the glass. And to maintain that like a quality, they had to come out with better glass technologies. And everyone else did the same. A spheric is part of the story right now. That's one of the reasons why they did it. Um, so we have imaging sensors right now that are, we started off with 10, 12, and it was a big deal and went to 16. Now we're dealing with, you know, 40, 50, 60, 100, you know, megapixel with big, ridiculous resolving power coming out of these sensors. The lens manufacturers have to keep up with that. A perfect example, one of my favorite lenses of all time, uh, um, and it's not terribly sharp wide open, but it had a beautiful quality to it. A 24-millimeter F2 Nikkor AIS, manual focus lens, beautiful lens. I've taken I don't know how many photographs with that that have been published. Um, and I recently found a mint copy of one, new in the box, and I purchased it. And I started using it with my A7R2. And it was very disappointing because that camera outperforms and outruns the, what that lens can do. And even stopped down, I realized that I'm not getting what I like. There was something that was bothering me. I realized the lens doesn't fill my need anymore. It's not up to spec. So that's what a lot of these manufacturers are doing. They're, they're upping the resolving power. But I think a negative aspect of what's happening with the, these lenses becoming incredibly sharp is that they're losing some of their soul. They're clinically amazing, but they're clinical. There's a certain... The personality is being robbed from some of the pictures, and I know I've heard this from portrait shooters, and, and this came out not you know a while ago. I remember when this, uh, uh, the original 645 contacts lenses came out from Zeiss. The portrait lens was phenomenal, but a lot of photographers said it's just too sharp for portraits. They had to dumb it down. It's great if you're photographing brake pads and you know uh, industrial things, but if you're shooting fashion and beauty and portraiture, a lot of the lenses we're using, they're, you got to dumb them down. There's a soul that's being lost, and I think that's part of the issue why some people are going back and buying old lenses because when you put them on, they have, suddenly there's a character that you don't get from many of the lenses today. But we're in a kind of digital world. I mean, if, I would think you'd want to shoot for optimal sharpness and optimal clarity edge to edge every time. Really? I, I, yeah, but then to get that kind of feeling and effects back, you're going to put that into your computer and you're going to go through whatever programs you want to and then you're going to kind of 
create that look that you want. And that kind of becomes your signature look. I don't think it's going to be dependent on lenses anymore. I think it's more dependent on how you post-process all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's true, but a lot of people used to buy lenses based on their personality. A good example, Nikon's 105 F2.5 was made for, like, I don't know, over 30 years, and that was considered the quintessential portrait lens by everybody for 35 millimeter because it rendered skin tones beautifully. It was a flattering perspective that it had, and everybody agreed that the 105 2.5 Nikon was just the cat's meow when it came to portraiture. It's not the same anymore. You can't adjust for the perspective that you were talking about, so you'd still have to... There was a rendition. Yeah. It, it, it resolved tone diff- a certain way that was just yeah. beautiful for skin. But even there, even now, there's all these programs that are built to replicate your favorite film in the manner that you liked it back replicate. then. Replicate. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's a replication, but I'm not going to buy a lens that's not going to perform optimally for the, the, the body I'm, I'm working with. I mean, if you have an older lens and you can adapt that and it it suits your needs and it kind of gives you that feeling that it's comfortable and fuzzy inside, well, yeah, go for it. But if you're starting out from some place where you're starting with a, like a higher-end, high-resolution digital camera, I would always opt for the best possible lens match for that camera and then create your look. Whatever you're shooting, whether it's events or weddings, what have you, the look that you're that you're putting on your images, that you're showing, putting out to the world, that's what's going to differentiate you from everyone else. Now it doesn't have to be dependent on the lens that you're using. It's that's kind of dependent point. on how you, how you want to manipulate what you have. Okay. That's, 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 that's an interesting a, take rep, on it. It's representative of two different approaches to mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. problem. Definitely. Yeah. Right. The, pro- the problem being how do I make the nicest images or the most... And, Really, it's not even the nicest images because nice is such a subjective sure. term. Yeah. But but what? How do I make the m- images that resonate mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. people? Right. I want people to have an emotional or visceral reaction to whatever images I'm making. Alan, I think, is representing a. Forgive me for saying it, but an, an old school point of view, which is through the capture process, I want to make an image that's already going to talk to you. I don't want to have to deal with sending it off to the lab and you know cross processing or whatever it is. Even though you will do that on occasion, but yeah, but I like to I know rather, I can get it out of the box, right out of the exactly. box, so I can get it. Exactly, and, and even and even the lens itself is part of your experience in doing mm-hmm. it. Whereas Dre, I think even is, the socks is, I wear, and then and and then you have Dre over here is representing a, a a kind of more neutral point of view, which is let me just capture the scene as perfectly as possible, as cleanly and neutral as possible, and I'll make all my decisions after I have the capture done. I I very much understand these two point of views, and I'm kind of on neither side. I used They're to be both very valid. much. I used to be very much Andrea's camp, and then I was kind of moving over to Alan's camp. Also, especially specifically, the more I got involved in video, the more I went over to Alan's side because in video it's so much harder to do the post processing mm-hmm. part. You got to. You have to get yeah. it in camera. Yeah. And and there's a beauty to kind of both. I think where it's going to be interesting is when you can do certain things in lens, which cannot be replicated as well on computer, mm-hmm. like we see with like polarizing filters and certain like either like bokeh effects or something like that where the lens itself well, yeah, has no, absolutely, certain yeah, things. Because I mean stuff like that, especially when you're working with like polarizer filters or even like uh, neutral density filters, I still feel like that needs to be done physically with the actual filter. You're never going to replicate those kinds of results. But if you're talking about color rendition and um, grain and tonality, that sort of things, you you have a little more play with. I don't think you need to be as dependent on the lens for that. We, we talked earlier about how distortion may be a thing of the past, how we've reached uh, a limit in terms of uh, image stabilization. 
based on the rotation of the earth. <laughs> uh, so resolving power, uh, coatings, you were talking the other day about flare, lens, things like that, where we can always eliminate now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything else, though, that we can look forward to? I mean, what... Definitely look out for more cinema-friendly lenses mm-hmm. um, as as the two kind of... There's a whole debate now whether or not um, we're just going to be shooting video for the rest of our lives and then pulling still images right. from it. And that's a question I have no idea. That's I don't so have an daunting, answer to. though. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a crazy concept. You could I, go yeah, crazy. Right now we have you cameras we're selling where you could you know, shoot 4K video and pull an 18 meg still out of it. Sure, but eight, how many stills frames a second. Yeah, do you yeah. have to go through to find that one still? Well, you play, you play through it and then you freeze on the frame, which is the exact emotion that you want. I mean, it's, it's, it's an approach which is out there that people are, and even camera manufacturers are saying that we may end up right. in that mm-hmm. zone, in which is theory. insane. Yeah. But yeah. like we we may very well end up over there. But overall, we are definitely seeing the move toward you know autofocus systems, which are more cinema friendly, declickable apertures, yeah, yeah, smoother manual focusing. The the one thing which I would say that, and we had started talking about this. Again, I don't remember if we recorded that part. Was I would like to see. So now we have all the wide aperture stuff, which is awesome. Love wide aperture. Love softbook. I'm totally mm-hmm. in with selective focus. But as we're getting these smaller cameras that do a tremendous job in high ISO, we don't need massive lenses to go on the front of them. Right. What we need are really good lenses that they can be f two four or f two eight, but they should just be perfect. Right. They should just be amazing. Um, and we're not really getting a lot of manufacturers going that way. Zeiss, I think, is one of the few with the Luxia line, which is kind of doing that, where they're saying, we're not going to give you a 1.4 lens. We're not giving you a 1.8 lens. We're giving you 2.4, but it's optically right on point. Mm-hmm. And it's also easier and less expensive to create a slower aperture lens that's ridiculously sharp than try to maintain that same level of image sharpness with a faster aperture. So you gain weight, you gain expense, you get a lot of other things. I know right now my fastest lens is f2.8, and it's I don't need more. I'm shooting in darkness with it already. Yeah. So there's a lot of little combinations that are changing what we need. So well, Let's not forget about, like, the lens babies and the... Uh, what's the other one? That, uh, the Petzvolls. Petzvolls and, and yeah. things like that, which maybe are exploring old technologies to some degree, but people are interested that where they wouldn't be. Yeah, it th- could be another thing, too, that could be influencing this, too, is the fact that uh, it's no big secret that smartphones are bashing the photo industry, especially the lower end of it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there's nothing new in the way of kit lenses. Well, guess what? Your phone is your kit lens. Um, and if you're going to invest into anything, you're trying to save an industry, you're going to go into, let's start putting some money into the higher stuff, things Didn't that separate Zeiss us. announce a whole cage <clears throat> system and lens system for smartphones? Who? Zeiss. Zeiss, yeah. They built, that was like last year, yeah. But yeah, yeah. They, Zeiss has it. Um, Lens Baby has it. There's quite a few people, but the fact that Zeiss did something there, yeah, is, yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, the 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 most popular camera came out, iPhone Seven. That's right. <laughs> and no one's talking about if it could make a good phone call. <laughs> no one talks about reception. They're talking about image quality. Yep. Okay. Well. Thank you very, very much, Levy. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, John Harris. Thank you, Jason Tables. Thank you, our listeners. Um, take a moment. Go to iTunes. Write a review. Give us a little rating. Give us some feedback. We look at all of these comments. We take them seriously. And our goal is to make this show continuously better. 
And also, if you want to learn a little bit more about any of the items we've spoken about and all new products, visit uh, B&H Explorer at bnh.com. Uh, we update it almost on a daily basis, new articles, reviews, roundups, all kinds of stuff written by some very talented people. Including Alan Weiss. That's right. And I learned everything else I know from these guys. As usual, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs>